0: Want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there.
1: This is Cliff Eidelman, composer for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And you are listening to Standard Orbit on Trek FM.
0: Risk is our business.
2: It's like nothing we've dealt with before. My golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I can't change the laws of physics.
3: Now in standard orbit, sir.
0: Welcome everyone to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the original and new cast of Captain Kirk and the Enterprise. I'm your host, Zach Moore, and it's just me this week, guys, and want to do something a little unique, a little different. Uh, we're going to call back to one of my favorite uh, topics of Star Trek fandom, the the Star Trek Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition. Now, this is for those of you who are not familiar. This is the Sci-Fi Channel's remastering and rebroadcast of the original series. It started back in 1998. And it went to 1999, and they rebroadcast the original series unedited, restored, remastered in an hour-and-a-half time slot that not only included the episode, but also interviews with in-front-of-the-camera stars, behind-the-scenes talent. Everyone involved in the original series almost was a part of these interviews. And it was very unique, very well-done additional content, which had not seen before and hasn't been seen since, in official channels anyway. Uh, so in Standard Orbit number 235, we should have bought 160 tapes. Uh, we talked to Joe Guianetti, who runs the Star Trek Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition Facebook group. Uh, so he's trying to collect and archive a lot of these interviews uh, just just so people can see them. Because you've, if you weren't watching the Sci-Fi Channel back in 1998 or weren't recording them off TV, uh, like me and my family, then, then these were just lost to time. So speaking of, uh, I did mention that, that we had recorded, me and my family had recorded... Uh, these episodes off the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, my dad has recently uh, gotten the tapes digitized, so now I have our entire collection. Thanks, Dad, if you're listening. I know you listen from time to time. Uh, so now we have those digitized, and I wanted to share my top three episodes of the original series with you guys from the Sci-Fi Channel Special Editions Special Features. Now, I thought this is just a fun way to kind of make a framework and excuse to share this stuff with all y'all who haven't heard these before. Because like I said, they're they're rare to come across uh, unless, you, unless you really seek them out on the internet. And even then, there's not a complete collection. We don't have a complete collection. Nobody on the internet has a complete collection. But I'm sure that if we keep getting the word out on this, eventually the internet will unite. And between us all, all our checkies out there, we will have the entirety of not only William Shatner's run, ...hosting these episodes, but also Leonard Nimoy's... ...because as we discussed in in our last episode on it... ...like I said, uh, 235, Standard Orbit 235... ...William Shatner's episodes that he hosted... ...they got their entire run... ...and then Leonard Nimoy's got about two-thirds, three-fourths... ...of the way through... ...Sci-Fi Channel went under new management... ...and they just took it off the air... ...and those were never shown... ...so in a vault somewhere... Our Leonard Nimoy's hosting segments for, for the remainder of the series, uh, you know, mid to late season three, uh, those were never broadcast, never shown, although they were all shot. Uh, so I'm going to take you guys through my top three episodes of TOS, and if this is successful and popular with you guys, uh, Ken and Haley, and then going on down the list further, maybe get our whole top ten list in there if you guys care to hear it. And uh, I'd be interested to see how much overlap there is between the three of us as well. So what we're going to do is I'm going to say, my number one episode is this, and then I'll say it, a little few thoughts, and then we'll cut to the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition hosting segments and interview segments in between the episodes. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into it then. My number one episode of the original series is Where No Man Has Gone Before. We've talked about it on and off here on the podcast in various forms. Uh, it, to me, it is a perfect Star Trek story. It is a space adventure. It's morality play. It is, it's about the human condition. You know, the only thing missing is Dr. McCoy, right? He has everything but McCoy. But even then, you know, uh, even though I do recognize that he is a integral part of the TOS Trinity, uh, th- this episode stands fine just without him, you know. Uh, this is the Kirk story. We see, I mean, if you were going to write a prequel to the original series, right, you would write this episode, right? You had Kirk's previous best friend and first officer. It's not really clear if Gary Mitchell is the first officer or not. That- that's some in That's some head headcanon. I don't know if that's ever officially uh, said anywhere in Star Trek uh, continuity or chronology someone can be p- please correct me uh, or clarify but we see you know Kirk has to deal with this guy who's been his, his friend for years and then he has to make a hard command decision what to do with him because the absolute power corrupts absolutely right So that's my favorite episode of the original series we had you know we have some space exploration at the edge of the galaxy we have some moral dilemmas. About what you do with someone who has made their intentions clear, and do you stop them before they can, you know, see those through to the end? And also, you know, we got some good old fisticuffs down on, down on the planet. You know, Kirk gets his shirt ripped. You know, uh, we have some some fun stuff like James R. Kirk, which sticks in fan in, <laughs> in fan circles as a great continuity breach. Uh, and then, you know, just just. It's a great Star Trek adventure, and I can see why this is what NBC wanted and approved Star Trek. If not for this episode doing its job, we would not have Star Trek today 50-plus years later. So let's hear what the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition had to say about where no man has gone before.
4: Has Gone Before is a Star Trek episode designed to make the TV network executives happy. It's got action, character, and high drama. And indeed, it was designed for just that purpose. NBC turned Gene Roddenberry down when he showed them The Cage, the pilot he produced for a new weekly science fiction series titled Star Trek. They said it was too cerebral. But in an unprecedented move, the network requested a second pilot even though they'd spent the unheard-of sum of over $600,000 for the first. Changes were made to the cast. Jeffrey Hunter had originally sat in the command chair, but it was decided a new captain was needed. Lloyd Bridges turned down the role. Jack Lord of a Y5O fame was interested, but a deal couldn't be worked out. I had made a fair name for myself in a few movies and Broadway productions, been in a twilight zone and an outer limits. So they probably figured I'd had enough experience on other worlds to steer a a starship. Uh, Coincidentally, I'd also worked with Leonard Nimoy uh, in The Man from UNCLE. Where no man has gone before convinced NBC to send the Star Trek crew on its five-year mission to boldly go where no TV series has gone before. So here it is what is considered to be episode number one of Star Trek and my very first appearance as Captain James T. Kirk. Star Trek, the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition will continue after these messages. Of changes in future episodes from what you see here in terms of cast, sets, and costumes. Mr. Spock, the only character to be carried over from the first pilot, and just by the skin of his ears, no less, appears a bit more severe than usual, eyebrows more upswept, bangs shorter, skin a yellow gold. Some familiar faces are still missing bones, Uhura, Mr. Jacob. Here, Mr. Sulu is the officer in charge of life sciences. He would soon become helmsman. Kirk's relationship with Spock had yet to be defined. At one point, there's some downright nastiness as Kirk snaps, would you at least pretend for one moment that you have a heart? In one scene, Kirk sees his own tombstone, which reads James R. Kirk, which, even though by now we all know his his full name is James Tiberius Kirk, and lastly, the women in this episode all wear pants. That was going to change. Star Trek, to the appreciation of all the men on the set, in fact, all around the world, would boast the shortest skirts on women of any regular series on television. Actually, the women were very tall and the skirts were very short. It could have been that the skirts were very long and the women were very short. It was very complicated. In any case, it looked good.
5: You're watching Star Trek on the Sci Fi Channel.
2: This is the captain speaking. The object we encountered is a ship's disaster recorder, apparently ejected from the SS Valiant almost 200 years ago. Tapes are burned out, trying the memory banks. We hope to learn from the recorder what the Valiant was doing here and what destroyed the vessel. We'll move out into our probe as soon as we have those answers. Well,
5: I feel a kind of a, a responsibility uh, to the show and, and to the Star Trek uh, history. I think uh, I think this particular project that we're doing now is a is a major historical event, in my opinion. It's a uh, it's a sort of a uh, fresh look, a fresh revisiting uh, of the show um, in a in a way that it hasn't been seen
6: in many years. <laughs> Autopsy report, sir. Each case showed damage to the body's neural circuit. An area of the brain was burned out.
2: And you? Are you feeling all right?
6: Yes. Mitchell, too. Except for his eyes. We're trying to find a reason for that now. Why out of our whole crew only certain people were affected?
5: New prints, um, footage restored, uh, commentary... Um, I think it's I think it's an important event and and I decided that I'd, I'd like to be part of it I think that probably that's the reason that all of us from the original show are, are doing this because it's, uh, it's meaningful.
2: Ah, oh, yes. One of your earth
5: emotions. It's almost a memorialization Of the show in its
3: finest form Dr. Dana feels he isn't that dangerous. What makes you right and a trained psychiatrist wrong
2: because she feels I don't all I know is logic in my opinion, we'll be lucky if we can repair this ship and get away in time.
5: And I think for, all, for a lot of people who've been hearing about Star Trek for many years and never paid much attention, it'll I think it'll be an eye-opener.
2: Hi, I'm George Takei, and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel.
7: The I played was Lieutenant Lee Kelso, and it was, as we have say at all the conventions, the second pilot, the one that sold the show. I was a member of the crew, uh, and the spaceship, the Enterprise, passes through a peculiar kind of force field that affects certain members of the crew. Uh, the two members that were were, were affected, basically, were uh, uh, Gary Lockwood, who played Gary Mitchell, and Sally Kellerman. Things started to happen to him. His brain expanded at this enormous rate, and he was able to read volumes of, volumes of books in, in one sitting. And then he was able to telekinetically move things, and uh, he had enormous strength. Sally Kellerman uh, played a, played a, a doctor on the um, on the Enterprise, who was very concerned about his health and about what was happening to him. And obviously, she was beginning to fall in love with him. But she was also affected by this uh, force field that we'd gone through. So, she started to make certain changes too. I was the first person he killed because we were trying to keep him trapped on a um, a small asteroid, and uh, he using his telekinetic powers and uh, telekinesis and whatever, uh, found out about it and um, Mm. strangled me with a cable. (laughs) So, if it hadn't been for Gary Lockwood, I'd probably still be on that series. Hi,
2: I'm Michelle Nichols, and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel.
6: Gary Lockwood and I were like the Velos and Yolanda of television and he and I were the guest stars on this second pilot. So there we are walking around the man-made lake. We're bumping into trees, slipping into the water and no one is saying cut and I'm getting sort of starting to get the, just a small amount of the giggles and now he reaches for the perforated peach and he's going to rip it apart like this great god that he was and hand me a piece while we had the scene and it took him like rip, and they couldn't get it apart and then rip and still nobody's saying cut you know. We had to wear lenses. We wore silver lenses and our eyes and i i never worn glasses and, and gary hadn't and he couldn't stand it for one second. you'd have men for one second you'd get these lenses out of my eyes you know and this big screaming stop it gary
8: Morals are for men not gods
6: what do you know about gods i feel that i'm responsible for star trek's success because i was the guest star on the pilot yeah i never thought of that gee maybe it really was me
4: I'm William Shatner and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel. gone before takes us on a journey to explore the price of immortality and the cost of ultimate power. It has a familiar theme going back to the Greek tragedies. What happens when man plays God? Kirk watches as a close friend is transformed into something more than a human and something less than a man. Power does corrupt, and absolute power corrupts
0: absolutely. All right, my number two episode of Star Trek, the original series, is The City on the Edge of Forever. And it is a brilliant hour of television. That much is certain. But why is it not my number one, as, as it is a lot of people's number one? Uh, it's just... The, the reason it's not my number one is it's not the most representative of what Star Trek is. I mean, it, it's a great story. It's a great sci-fi story. Time travel, time travel and Trek go together like bacon and eggs, right? But... You know, it's it it could be in any format, right? The Outer Limits, Twilight Zone, right? It it doesn't necessarily need to be Star Trek. And although Kirk is at his most Kirk and Spock is at his most Spock, right? Uh, This is not the, you know, if you're going to show someone one episode of what Star Trek is all about, you wouldn't show them this one and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing it's really for the episode but that's why it's not really my number one like if i if you watch where no man has gone before my number one it's like okay now i understand what 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 star trek is and what it's all about but the enterprise is barely in this one uh, so the crew, you know, it's, it's basically Kirk and Spock the whole time, which, you know, people argue they are Star Trek and that's very true. And then McCoy plays an integral role, of course, uh, as a catalyst for the whole thing. Uh, but we have a great guest star in Edith Keeler, uh, played by Joan Collins and, you know, a love story, uh, one of the best of the original series, you know, and the reason this love story works more than others is because it takes place over a, a period of time. You know, uh, they never exactly say how long they were there. It could be weeks, could be months. Uh, but there is a passage of time that takes place in this episode that some people might overlook. So it makes it beyond just the you know the uh, the romance of the week, as it were. And you know, William Shatner won his best performances. Uh, in the series here, Spock is at his very most Spock. Uh, yeah, it's just this episode hits on all cylinders, and it's very you know contentious behind the scenes story behind it, which the Sci-Fi Channel special edition Harlan Ellison is interviewed for this, which is to me it's amazing uh, that he agreed to be on this. But I guess he just when, whenever he got a chance to talk about how uh, upset he was about this episode, he took that opportunity. But um, you, you you can tell how they, they kind of probably softened. What he was saying in the editing of this, as you'll hear, uh, but to me that's the highlight of the the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel special edition bonus content of this episode. Hearing from uh, the original writer of the episode himself, Harlan Ellison. So let's hear what those special features interviews are for this episode from the Sci-Fi Channel special edition.
4: Science fiction master Harlan Ellison and Gene Roddenberry were at odds over this next episode, The City on the Edge of Forever. As I heard it, Ellison, late with his script, was locked in associate producer Bob Justman's office to finish this brilliant teleplay, but as brilliant as it was, the style just wasn't right for Star Trek. So Roddenberry and Gene Coon rewrote it to fit the Star Trek formula, their version is what you'll see next. Harlan never forgave them for rewriting a story, and he submitted his original script to the Writers Guild. Ironically, it garnered the prize for the most outstanding dramatic teleplay for 1967-68. The completed episode, adapted by Gene Roddenberry, won the 1968 International Hugo Science Fiction Award. Although Ellison has his own perspective on what happened, most people agree that the city on the edge of forever is the best Star Trek episode ever written and produced.
2: Star Trek, the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition is brought to you by New Line Home Video. Get ready, get set, get lost in space. Add it to your home video collection today. Hi, I'm George Takei and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel.
8: For the city on the edge of forever came from uh, I had been reading a biography of the great evangelist Amy Semple McPherson and I began toying with the idea of what would happen if a Kirk would fall in love with a woman like this and one thing led to another
4: excuse us miss we didn't mean to trespass it's cold outside
8: and lie is a very poor way to say hello it isn't that cold I'm also fascinated by the idea of predestination uh, that our lives uh, are really in our own hands i've always believed that Uh, being a card-carrying atheist i'm perfectly happy to understand that there is no such thing as bad luck you make your own luck whatever it is you wind up being that's what you were intended to be because you were the one who had control of your life and i thought wouldn't it be interesting if they went back in time and this woman who was so pure and good and decent, whom Kirk is desperately in love with, had to die. Had to die for time to be put back right. And if he was in love with her, truly in love with her, how heartrending that would be. And basically, all I did was tell a love story.
4: The Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition will return in a moment. This is one of the few Star Trek episodes ever to use stock footage. The Brooklyn Bridge, as well as shots from old movies, play back on the Guardian's screen. Also, note who plays Edith Keeler a young Joan Collins in her early television days before reaching diva status in the 1980s primetime soap dynasty.
2: Case Masterson,
8: celebrate Star Trek, the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition by entering the Journey to Las Vegas Star Trek Sweepstakes presented by Best Buy. You could win one of five amazing trips to Star Trek The Experience at the Las Vegas Hilton. Pick up an entry form at Best Buy, log on to our Dominion website, or send in a postcard. Watch Star Trek, the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition weeknights at 7.30 and 11.30
2: Eastern only on the Sci-Fi Channel.
3: Captain,
2: Dr. McCoy has beamed himself down to the planet. And the transporter at that time, Captain, was focused on the center of the time disturbance. So whatever's down there, McCoy's in the heart of it. Set up a landing party. Let's go get him. Kirk out.
8: City on the Edge of Forever is supposedly the best of all the Star Trek episodes of any kind ever done. TV Guide did a a survey. Many, many thousands of people voted. And my script was vote, well, Not my script, the way it was shown. That that segment was called not only the number one best all-time episode of Star Trek, but in their list of the 100 greatest moments in television, that was one of them.
2: Since before your son burned hot in space, I have awaited a question. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Are you machine or being? I am both. It's a story that people like to see. I think there is a a
8: kernel, a germ, a mustard seed in there of great sadness and genuine tragedy, uh, and 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 it and it and it comes through. You can't kill it.
2: Strangely
4: compelling, isn't it? To step through there oneself in another world
8: no matter how many times gene pochkied with it they could not kill it they wounded it it was like a thalidomide baby by the time they got done with it nonetheless you could see the spark of intelligence shining out of its eyes one day soon man is going to be able to harness incredible
6: energies maybe even the atom and the men that reach out into space will be able to find ways to feed the
8: hungry millions of the world and to cure their diseases. Any any depth, any subtlety that scripts had, not just mine, but everybody's, was inevitably leached out of them for the demon god television, which needs exploding heads every five minutes. Uh, it is very painful for writers who care about their work. If you don't give a damn, if you're doing it for the money, if you're just doing a job, it doesn't matter. Take the money and you run, because they pay you very well. But if you care about what you write, then it is a constant and ongoing heartache. And and when people ask me about Star Trek and why I, I seem unhappy about it, I'm unhappy because the show that was finally aired is about one one hundredth of what was in that original script.
2: All that you knew is gone.
8: There's a lot of things I can't do, but I can write. And that script, whatever's left of it, Was some of the best work I ever did.
2: Hi, I'm Michelle Nichols, and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci Fi Channel. Suppose we discover that in order to set things straight again, Edith Keeler must die.
8: In my script, in the end, Edith Keeler is about to be hit by the truck. She must be hit by a truck. She must die for time to be set back straight.
2: How did she die? What day? You can estimate general happenings from these images, but I can't trace down precise actions at exact moments, Captain.
8: And Kirk goes after her to save her. He knows that he'll never see the Enterprise again. He knows he'll never be able to return to his own time. He knows that the world will be changed forever. He doesn't give a damn. He loves her. He loves her. He's held back by Spock, who's logical. That was the sense of that scene, not the way it was done. And he watches her get killed. And in the end, when they're back on the Enterprise, and and, and up until this point in the show, Spock, I'm told, I never Saw them, but but I'm told Spock had never called Kirk by his first name. He'd always called him Captain. And in the end, in the coda of my of my script, Spock comes into the cabin and he says, "Jim, no one ever gave up the universe for love before." And it was a moment that I just when I when I wrote it, I cried because it was it was a very good moment, and it ain't there no more. Um, that's what I was trying to say that the human heart will always win out over logic, that there is a nobility in the human heart that we have to pay attention to. It's exactly what separates us from everything else that exists in this universe. Time and gravity take their toll, but kindness, courage, ethics, friendship, and love will always, uh, will always uh, yank you through one way or the other.
4: And you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel. If you could go back in time and change the course of history, how much would you sacrifice? Kirk discovers the intense weight of this question in City on the Edge of Forever, where he's faced with the ultimate sacrifice. Letting one person die for the sake of all mankind. In Harlan Ellison's original screenplay, it was actually Spock, not Kirk, who stopped Edith Keeler's rescue. But Roddenberry felt that Kirk's inability to make this crucial decision would be uncharacteristic of the Take Charge captain and would have eroded viewers' confidence. As we all know in the final version, Kirk proves he's up to the challenge in spite of his emotions.
0: Finally, my number three episode of Star Trek, the original series, is Arena. It's been called the Citizen Kane of Star Trek on this podcast before, by hosts before and current. Uh, and th- you know, this episode does encompass what Star Trek is all about, right? It's about, uh, well, well, I mean, just go down uh, go down the list, right? It hits all the boxes. You have a space battle. You have a, well, you don't really get to see much, but hey, it's the 60s, give me a break. Uh, you have a land battle, right? Very impressive uh, opening. Where, where they're running around on, on, on Cessus 3. You have a classic Kirk versus an alien, one-on-one, right? That's what we want to see. Uh, the, the Gorn. What, what is more iconic than the Gorn in Star Trek, right? Uh, some people will say it's cheesy. I say that's how a Gorn looks. And unless you show me how a Gorn doesn't look that way, you, <laughs> you're not going to win that one, right? Uh, but it's, it's Star Trek at its best. It really is because... Uh, you have a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, and through, you know, mercy and choosing the high road, you know, you, you win the day, as it were, right? The, the, the tests that are presented to humanity, right? TNG is built on this, you know, test right, from the first episode wrapped around in the last episode about how, you know, higher beings out there are testing humanity, and that is, the, that is this in, in a package, right? And it was based off a short story, Uh, As well, inadvertently so. There's an interesting behind-the-scenes story there uh, about Arena, but uh, you know, I recommend people go seek that out as well. But that's my number three. Uh, Just because, I mean, rewatchability factor. This is probably the episode of Star Trek I rewatched the most. You know, as a kid, I really love the Gorn, and you want to see the Gorn, and so (laughs) it's the episode I watched. Uh, But yeah, the the location, the Vasquez Rocks. You know, uh, just everything is here. For Star Trek, and uh, and so that's why it's, it's my number three. So those, those are my top three episodes, but let's hear about what the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition had to say about Arena.
4: The idea of testing mankind is a theme that occurs often in Star Trek episodes. It's a concept that goes back to the Bible. In Arena, a race of higher beings called metrons put captain kirk to the test to see if the crew of the enterprise will survive over another species the gorn listen closely the voice of the metrons is provided by vic Perrin. he might sound familiar to you as the voice that told us we were no longer in control of our sets as he introduced us to the outer limits he also was the voice of nomad in the star trek episode the changeling kirk is of course chosen to represent the crew. While there may be uh, no doubt in your minds who will win, it's not so much the outcome of the contest as it is about how Kirk plays the game.
2: Star Trek, the Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition, is brought to you by Microsoft. Where do you want to go today?
4: The first episode to establish the Enterprise's cruising speed of warp six and top speed is warp eight, although not without considerable danger to the ship and crew. While warp one is considered to be the speed of light, the formula to compute a starship's speed gets complicated this was also one of the first episodes to limit how we use the transporter let's face it if any time we faced a dangerous situation and we could beam up to safety a lot of excitement would be lost it was decided that whenever there was a force field in operation like the deflector shields that protected the enterprise the transporter would be inoperable remember you can't beam through a force field so don't try it The Sci-Fi Channel Special Edition will return in a moment.
5: There were other science fiction projects around. Uh, Some of them were kind of lightweight. Uh, Some were attempting to do meaningful work. Uh, I had been involved in both. I had been involved in all the extremes of science fiction from very early on. For some reason or other, I was useful in science fiction as an alien, often as an alien. I am half Balkanian.
2: Canadians do not speculate. I speak from pure logic.
5: So it wasn't my first time in science fiction of any kind, but this was the first time in my memory that we were dealing with very current issues metaphorically.
2: Makes you think you can interfere. It is you who are interfering. We are set-
5: we were able to take very current issues um, that, were, that we were dealing with as, as a civilization at the time and translate them into the 20th, a 23rd century story so that you could get a new perspective on it. It was a way of looking at ourselves through a different prism and I think that was very very important for our society and very refreshing for a lot of people. A lot of people got it they got it they got they got the, the metaphor they got the poetry of it and uh, and they were they were affected by it.
2: We're a most promising species mr. As predators go, did you know that? i frequently had my doubts. I don't. Not anymore. And maybe in a thousand years or so, we'll be able to prove it.
5: Certain writers brought certain strengths. One element that, that most viewers are not aware of in a television series, the constant in the series, is the actor and the character. Uh, writers come and go, directors come and go, even producers come and go. But then along came a man named Gene Kuhn, who, who stepped in to produce the series, and if you came to the lot at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, several hours after the, we and the crew had gone, you'd find Gene still there pounding away at a clackety-clack typewriter. And, uh, and the next day, you'd have some interesting things to play, including a whole new race to deal with. The Klingons, for example, came from Gene Kuhn.
4: The Sci-Fi Channel is the only place you'll find all 80 episodes of Star Trek. Uncut, digitally remastered, hosted by William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy. Sci-Fi and Best Western want to send you to Dusseldorf, Germany for the premiere of the Star Trek World Tour. An incredible live Federation adventure. One grand prize winner will receive airfare, a suite at the Best Western Hotel Eden in Dusseldorf, and a budget rent-a-car. Enter at Best Western or a participating budget rent-a-car agency. Or log on to www.scifi.com. Star Trek, weeknights at 7.30 and 11.30, only on Sci-Fi. <laughs> When
1: we started out doing Star Trek, we wanted a successful television series on the
2: air. We are the Metrons. You are one of two crafts which have come into our space on a mission of violence. This is not permissible.
1: It was not a bunch of guys in a room saying philosophically, what we should do is go and do something for the betterment of mankind. We weren't, we were out to make a buck, okay? I mean, that's very important that audiences, that fans understand that. I mean, so much has been written about the the wonderment that we are done, the philosophy, that came later. That came as we hired these marvelous science fiction writers, and we had some spectacular writers. People who came in and sat down at their typewriters and wrote science fiction.
2: Wait for me, I shall be merciful and quick. Like you were at Cestus III. You were intruding, you established an outpost in our space. You butchered helpless human beings. You destroyed invaders, as I shall destroy you.
1: At that time, we had Lost in Space, we had Buck Rogers, Uh, We had Flash Gordon. We had really adventure, almost animation kind of, stereotypical one dimension space adventure, if you will. Along comes Star Trek. Along comes Harlan Ellison. Along comes Gene Coon. Theodore Sturgeon. Spectacular science fiction writers who who prior to that really did not have an opportunity to write television. And suddenly Star Trek comes along and suddenly a door opens and inside that door is the opportunity to express their science
2: fiction mind. Can that be true? Was Cestus III an intrusion on their space? It may well be possible, Doctor. We know very little about that section of the galaxy. Then we could be on the wrong perhaps the Gorns simply might have been trying to protect themselves.
1: Yes. So most of the philosophies that we hear about, the way we treat fellow man, the way we treat people in the galaxy, uh, the, the, the the mixed racial uh, feelings with uh, aboard the enterprise and throughout the the galaxy, most of that came from Gene Kuhn and the writers.
2: and you're watching Star Trek on the Sci-Fi Channel.
4: Arena was written by Gene Kuhn, Star Trek's producer. Kuhn based it on a short story by Frederick L. Brown, who wrote Martians Go Home. In the first season alone, Kuhn also wrote The Devil in the Dark Space Seed and Errand of Mercy in which he created the Klingons and their warlike culture.
0: Alright guys, well there you have it. I hope you enjoyed that rather unique episode of Standard Urban. Like I said, like I've been saying just more of a showcase of you know the Sci-Fi Channel special editions, uh, extra content. You know, you got our hosting segments from from the captain himself, William Shatner. There, uh, so so yeah. I mean, when, when me and my dad were recording these episodes, we we didn't know they were gonna be. Uh, you know, we thought just to be the same script, just Leonard Nimoy reading. I mean, we didn't know. We were like I said, we should have bought 160 tapes, right? We didn't know they were gonna be so different. Had we known that, perhaps we, perhaps we would have got uh uh record, go, gone out of our way to record Leonard Nimoy's hosting. Segment. So, if uh, you know you guys enjoyed this presentation, we can revisit this in the future for future episodes of Standard But yeah, to, to see to me, this is one of those things in my Star Trek fandom, which which I always thought was so cool, and a lot of people don't know about. So that's why I'm so you know passionate about sharing it with people who haven't heard of it before. So my top three episodes of the original series and Sci-Fi Channel special edition of Star Trek are the only things we're talking about. On Trek FM this week here's a quick look at what else you might have missed elsewhere on the network
5: previously on Trek.fm meta treks
0: wow I had no idea that was possible it's this ongoing link that exists between Michael Burnham and Sarek because of this mind meld that he had with her when she was a child
7: Mike, I'm going to give you a Radio Shack
0: joke because
7: I know you and I both have Radio Shack experience. If this, yes. were the ni- if this episode happened in the 1990s, they would have had prepaid long-distance mind-meld cards.
3: To the journey!
2: But I do have a question. Why was Neelix focusing on classic American cuisine as a marketable job skill in going back to the Alpha Quadrant? Why classic American cuisine? Why not Chinese, Japanese, or Vulcan? Come on.
7: I think that the culinary tastes will continue to degrade for the next three or four centuries, and by the twenty-fourth century, it'll only be classic American that's left. You know, all other cuisine will have gone by the wayside. So,
2: pot roast, pot pie, apple pie.
7: Yeah, every restaurant is Taco Bell essentially. Yeah, you know, it's the it's the demolition man problem.
2: That's disgusting.
7: Literary treks.
0: I think we could not do this novel without inviting a special guest. Amy Nelson. Amy, how are you doing? Hi! I am so excited. Mzadi Riker, Troy. It is the best. I am so grateful, honored, pleased that you even thought of me for coming on Literary Trek. So thank (laughs) you so, so much. Yeah, we're like,
7: do you think there's anybody on the network that would like to talk about Deanna Troy?
6: Hmm.
0: Hmm. I think I have corner on the
2: market on that one. Standard Orbit. (laughs)
3: Vulcans are not incapable of showing emotion, but apparently they are incapable of lying. Quote well,
0: that's their the reputation. I mean, who told a Vulcans tell you that, of course they would. I mean, that's their <laughs> reputation,
3: you know. And that's what
5: else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, get the show on iTunes or the Apple Podcasts app. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well.
8: If you would like to get in touch with us here at Trek.FM, you can always find us on Trek.FM slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash Trek.FM and please leave us a voice message. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook at Facebook.com TrekFM, and the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at TrekFM and click Discussion on the menu bar.
3: Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com/trekfm, that's p a t r e o n.com/trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find the details at patreon.com/trekfm. Speaking of Patreon, thank you, as always, to our associate producers for Standard Orbit. They are Norman C. Lau, Nick Anastasio, Tim Robertson, Richard Marquez, Corey Elrod, and Dan Rhodes. You guys, uh, your, your contributions, your help, your support mean the world to us, and we appreciate you being associate producers on Standard Orbit. So to find me on the interwebs... You can find me on the Babel Conference. I'm there all the time. Or you can find me on Twitter at BostonSCPO.
0: As for me, you can find me on Twitter at MoronZach. That's M-O-O-R-E-O-N-Z-A-C-H. I'm also the host of my own podcast, Always Holding on the Smallville, where we talk about each and every episode of that Young Superman show. You can find us on Twitter at AlwaysMallville with one S. You
8: can find me on Twitter. I am at Trekkie01D.
0: Celebrating Trek Tuesdays. That's tomorrow, everybody. Wear your trek.
8: Yes. (laughs) And use the hashtag Trek Tuesday.
0: So thanks, everyone, for listening. And join us again next time here on Trek FM for another episode of Standard Orbit.
2: just watch beam aboard the dominion at sci-fi.com right now enter the trek chat room and experience star trek the interactive way